we have really figured out who we truly are in the Lord and what the Lord calls us to do and are very like-minded in the ministry and the mission that the Lord has us on. After we started dating, she was in her senior year of college and I was uh, freshly divorced. We dated off and on for eight years, uh, sometimes more often than on. Every time she got close, I would do something dumb and, and stupid and, and run away. So after eight years, we decided that maybe we would try and live together. And uh, we went out and told her parents we were gonna live together and they were heartbroken. So the next day she called me up and said, well, I don't think I can live with you. And I thought, oh, okay, then this is over. And about a day later, I called her up and said, well, why don't we just go get married? So we got engaged on a Sunday and uh, we had the wedding on the next Saturday. The first six months was like cats and dogs. Oh, that's uh, terrible. We were both miserable. And I think uh, we, one of us set up in the middle of the night and said, are you as unhappy as I am? And I said, yes, we are. So we either need to do something different or we need to, to uh, separate. Okay, so we're six months in, you guys are going at it, okay? And then we get to a year, so Karen- We're still going at it, still by going the at way. It. And then you go back to Butch and, and you said that you needed to get back into church. So yeah. tell, tell us about that. I just felt like life was missing something. And I, and I can look back now and tell you that was really the Holy Spirit telling me I needed to be back in church. I was raised in the church until I was about 15 years old. And so I had that grounding. At first I said, you can, you can go to church, I don't care, because I was not raised in the church, okay? For years I professed to be an atheist. But when I finally consented to start going to church, I said, I want to go to a church that's got an early service because I don't want to spend my whole day in church. We did that for a year, and she wanted to go to a weekend at retreat called Camino, and I told her no the first time when, when she asked me, and then the first time that our pastor asked, asked me to go, I said no. But then he, he said, can't you give up one weekend for the woman that, that you love to give her something she wants to do? And I said, you know what? Yeah, I, I can do this. I'm thinking, won't be any big deal. So you're you're gone the first weekend. Yeah. And the idea is that the wife goes the, the next week. Yeah, so at the weekend by Saturday night, I'm still not buying in. And uh, I actually, I spent quite a bit of time in a chapel on, on Friday night through uh, Saturday night seeking God. and. Uh, what I said was, God, if you're real, I need to know. And well, s Sunday morning, the guy said, they gave the first talk. You could put my life and his life right side by side, and it was, it was a carbon copy. So I, uh, I turned my life over to God that day. That's been 35 years ago, pretty much. So Butch gets back. Karen, describe kind of what that looked like when Butch came home after this weekend. Well, he was very emotional and um, remorseful of the years that had been so turbulent in our lives. That's after he Butch. came home with such radical change, I was like, I don't want to change that much. The Lord really used that though, because over the years, he has shown us together how much we need to change. So you go to this conference, you come back, and it seems like, God, you did something in our marriage that we we tried for 15 years to do, but we couldn't figure it out. Right. So what would you say to someone that's in a similar position that you guys were 30 years ago? Don't pressure, pray. She didn't pressure me and um... She let me grow on my own, and uh, she let God work on me. And I had to really learn that I could not be His Holy Spirit, that the, the Lord had to be that for Him. Abundant Life keeps talking about your next step, and through those next 30 years, we found that the Lord always had a next step for us. 
it's exciting to see that over a span of 30 years that he's still having you guys take your next steps and you guys have grown together and have done ministry together and even now giving God the glory for your lives. So thanks for being willing to share. Isn't that an exciting story? I never get tired, church, never get tired of hearing the stories of lives changed by Jesus. That's the mission of our church. Jesus still changes lives. And I'm so thankful for Butch and Karen sharing their story. Butch and Karen actually helped launch our Independence Campus. Give it up for them in Independence. Butch actually leads our parking team over in Independence. Both of them are an ally, our Leadership Institute. Both of them are in Regen. And God has just done a work in their life. Ladies, did you hear the most important thing? I think Karen said, if you have a husband that's not living for the Lord, you wish they would, what does she say? Pray, don't pressure. All right, don't try to be the Holy Spirit. You can't do what only God can do. And that's the most important thing I think Karen said is don't push, don't prod, don't pressure, just pray. Because that's what we're going to hear Peter say in 1 Peter 3 and verse 1. If you'd open your Bible once again, 1 Peter 3 and verse 1, we're in a new section of the book of Peter as we go line by line studying this book. And that's what we're going to hear Peter say to women 2,000 years ago that is just as relevant today. If you don't have a man that obeys the word, you might without a word win him to the word simply by living out the word. We pick it up right here in 1 Peter 3 and verse 1. It says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. People ask sometimes, Pastor Phil, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? <laughs> Guys, yeah? Yeah, my life first right here. That's it, right? I, I want this preached at my funeral. It's so important. I've asked my wife to come to all three sermons today. <laughs> Yeah, she needs this so bad. Listen, listen, listen. The reason why I'm convinced submission has such a bad reputation in modern American society is because it has been misrepresented, mistaught, misapplied, misunderstood for so long. When you know what biblical submission really is, what you discover is this is the key to relationships, all relationships. And did you know that wives are called to submit to their husbands? And did you know... We're going to see next week in verse 7, husbands are called to submit to their wives. It's Ephesians 5.21, mutual submission one to another in the fear of the Lord. And anytime you see this word, likewise, you got to ask, like what? And what Peter's doing here is continuing the same thought that he began in chapter 2. He's driving everything toward the theme of 1 Peter, which is humility. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself in the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You see, humility is a character quality of Christ's likeness. And with humility comes submission. And so what Peter's doing here is he's saying, back to chapter 2, like I taught you in chapter 2, now I want you to take that to your marriage too. And we saw in 1 Peter 2.13 that we're to submit to civil authority. Uh, then he says in 1 Peter 2.18, I want you to submit to your workplace authority. And now, like you submit out there, I want you to submit in here. Wives, likewise, submit yourselves to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observed your chaste conduct accompanied with fear or reverence. What is happening in the first century? As Peter is writing this letter for the first time, many are coming to faith in Christ all over the Roman world. Many pagans are coming to faith in Jesus and becoming Christians. And many wives, undoubtedly are asking this question. If I'm a believer and my husband isn't, what do I do? Do I leave him, divorce him, or unequally yoked? And Peter says, no. I want you to do this instead. Instead of berating your husband and trying to browbeat him with the Bible, I just want you to live out the word. That even if some don't obey the word, you might without a word, and this lady says this is hard, without a word, even without a word, you might win your husband to the word simply by living the word. And what we're seeing here is, ladies, listen, I just have to tell you, as a man, I'm, I'm speaking with experience. As a man, words don't work on men. Ladies, how many of you knew that? 
Yeah, words don't work on men. Peter's saying, as a married man, one of the only married apostles, he's speaking also from experience, words don't work on men. He's saying, what works on men, ladies, is not what you say, rather what they see. When they see over the long haul, you living out Christ's likeness, maybe you'll be able to draw them to Christ. That's what Karen did. It took 15 years, 15 years in the making uh, where Butch professes to be an atheist, but she's just quietly living out her faith. Now listen, it's not a guarantee because uh, your husband is a free will agent. It's not a guarantee, but what Peter's saying is maybe, possibly, that if you can just live out the word, you can win him without a word. And that takes humility, that takes submission. And that is the key to all human relationships. Maybe you're not married, maybe you're single. What we're gonna see is that this principle is true of all relationships. And what Peter is teaching us today is that in relationships, humility eliminates rivalry. Why is there so much rivalry in American society? Because there's so little humility. Why is there so much rivalry even in the average marriage and family? Because there's so little humility. You see, humility says, I'm not the most important person here. You are. Humility is found in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It's true of all the relationships in your life. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, there's humility. Let each esteem the other better than himself. Let each you look not on your own interests, but on the interests of others. And so when humility is present, it eliminates rivalry because all of a sudden it's not all about me. And the other side of humility is submission. I want you to notice something. Mutual submission eliminates competition and fighting for a position. And that's what goes on in the average American marriage, fighting for a position, competition. And he says, no, submission overcomes that competition and they need to be first in that position. And this is the key to every relationship. It's humility and submission. Now check this out. When I say men and women are called to submit in marriage, Ephesians 5.21 puts it this way, mutually submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. In other words, when two people in marriage are first submitted to God, submitted to him, then they're gonna mutually submit one to another. And that is the key now in marriage. Now, in marriage, what is God doing here? God's desire for two people is to become one flesh, one with another. That's God's desire. I've told you before, everything that God wants us to learn about what we cannot see, he gives us a physical picture of something we can see. And did you know marriage is a picture physically of the relationship we have with Jesus personally? Do you know Jesus in the Bible is called the bridegroom and the church, you and I, is called the bride of Christ. We're also called the body of Christ. And so this relationship we have with Jesus is pictured by this relationship we have in marriage where you have the wife, a picture of the church, and you have the husband, a picture of Christ. Now, if you're one person, that's God's desire, says the two shall become one. What that means is the moment you stood at an altar, you took your vows, you exchanged your rings, and you sit I do, the moment you said I do, God said, I no longer see two of you. I just see one of you. I want you to be one person because that's a picture of our relationship now with Jesus. So the New Testament says we are in him and he is in us. We are now one with God, one with Christ. And that is the picture God desires in marriage. Two people now become one person. But if you're one person, think about this. Think about your person. You've only got one head and you've only got one body. And God wants us to function in marriage like that, with a head and a body as one person. And did you know that the husband is the head, Ephesians 5.22, and the wife is the body? Now, we don't have time to look at it because what I want to do is uh, just kind of do a high-level flyover of these six verses and just kind of give you the bullet points and the highlight reel. And then I'm going to ask to Sean and Marissa Avery and my wife to come join me on this platform for a little Q&A to really put some handles practically on this concept. That okay? 
All right, so we're going to move fast, all right? So here's what Ephesians 5, 21 says, mutually submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord, in reverence and submission to the Lord. Then verse 22, it says this, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the savior of the body, so women ought to be subject to their own husbands in everything. And then it says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so men ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. So you have a picture materializing in marriage of our relationship with Jesus, just as he is the head and you and I, the church, is the bride and the body, so it ought to be in marriage. What does this mean practically? It means we are mutually submitting. Let me ask you a question. Is my head submitted to my body or is my body submitted to my head? Just say yes. See, my body and my head aren't in competition. They're not fighting for position. They're working together. And this is the picture God wants in marriage, that we're one person in marriage. Okay, so think about this. If indeed uh, Jesus is the head of the church and the man is to be the head of the wife, the head of the home, what does that mean? We'll put it to you this way. If my head says go that way, we're going to go that way, my feet follow. My head sets the direction. If the head says go this way, my feet take it this way, but check it out. The head don't go anywhere, the feet don't take it. See, the head and the body are absolutely essential. They cannot function apart from one another. They are co-equal, but they are not the same. See, society has said in this age of egalitarianism, well, men and women are equal. Of course they are. But they have confused that being equal means that we're the same. And that's the problem. We're not the same. We're equal. But God hasn't made us the same. We don't have the same function. He's given us different roles in marriage. And here's the deal. There are a lot of marriages on the rocks because they did not build their marriage on the rock. And if you don't build your marriage on the rock, you will eventually have a marriage on the rocks. And there's a reason so many marriages are on the rocks because two people rocked the rolls. And when you rock the rolls, you'll eventually have a marriage on the rocks. And so God is telling us the roles of men and women. And as the man, a picture of Christ, he's the head. He sets the direction and the body submits to his lead. But check this out. In the very same way, the body submits to the head's lead, the head submits to the body's need. Hey, if my body is hungry, guess what my head says? I need to go find some food and nourish it. If my body is cold, my head says, I need to go get a blanket and warm it. See, the head is always submitting to the need of the body, and the body is always submitting to the lead of the head. And that is how two people mutually submit in marriage, mutual submission one to another. There's no competition in fighting for position. Today, we're just going to end the battle of the sexes, yes? Because the answer is not the historic male chauvinism or the new modern feminism, because what that means is somebody wins. And in marriage, everybody wins or everybody loses, And God has designed this thing. It's completely rigged. You either win together or you lose together. And the only way you win together is through humility and mutual submission. Mutual submission then is when the wife is submitting to her husband's lead and the husband is submitting to his wife's need. And you're going to hear this next week. So today we're covering the first six verses and this is primarily to the wives, to the women. But ladies, you want to bring your husband back next week. Winky, winky, winky. Because Peter's going to give the fellas one verse. The ladies get six verses. The fellas get one verse. There's a reason for that. Everybody knows that women use twice the words as men. So Peter knows the fellas do not have a long attention span, all right? They get one verse. But in that one verse, it is packed with power. And guess how he begins that one verse, gentlemen? Likewise. Right, he's saying, like your wives, submit to you. Now, I want you to submit to them too. She submits to his lead, and he submits to her need. Mutual submission is when the wife is submitting to her husband's lead, and the husband is submitting to his wife's need. In that sense, who's leading who? 
I mean, there's times my, my mind, my head is leading the body, and there's other times my body is leading the head. There's no competition. There's no fighting for position. And so Peter goes on, verse three, says this, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Here's what Peter's saying, ladies. What attracts a man is not what keeps a man. Yeah, go ahead and adorn yourself outwardly but you better be thinking about adorning yourself inwardly. Because he may be attracted to you for what he sees outwardly, but he fell in love with you because of something you had inwardly. This word adorn is a very interesting Greek word, a very famous Greek word, the word cosmos. It speaks of a system, as in a universal system, as in a world system. And what Peter's saying is don't adorn yourself with the world system that says it's all about your outer appearance. It's all about your beauty outwardly. He's saying, no, adorn yourself with something different, an inner beauty, the beauty of humility. You see, men may be attracted to a woman because of her outer beauty, but they fall in love with a woman because of her inner beauty, that beauty of humility. Not only do they fall in love with a woman because of her inner beauty, but they stay in love with a woman because of her inner beauty. Guys, listen carefully. I've never heard one of you come to Pastor Phil when your marriage is full of stress and tension. Not one time I've ever heard any man in this church say, Pastor Phil, I'm so disappointed in my marriage. My wife just isn't pretty enough. Not one time. Ladies, guess what I hear? Through 20 years of ministry, if a man comes to me and confides in Pastor Phil, Pastor Phil, I don't know what I'm gonna do. My marriage is just on the rocks. What I hear over and over again is this. My wife doesn't respect me. My wife doesn't respect, I wish she would respect me. See, there's the issue. Ladies, here's what Peter's teaching. He's not saying don't adorn yourself outwardly, make yourself look pretty. No, you, you know, it's okay. Your husband will be glad you did that. What he's saying is what attracted him to you is not the reason he fell in love with you. See, he didn't marry you because of what you look like. He married you because of what you made him feel like. And what you made him feel like is the man. The bomb, el presidente, el numero uno, okay? That's, man needs to feel like he's the man. And you made him feel like a man, right? And what happens in marriage sometimes after years and years is we quit doing the things that got us there. We quit doing the things that made us fall in love. And that's why people, quote, fall out of love. And Peter's saying, hey, ladies, adorn yourself outwardly, but put as much energy and intention in adorning yourself inwardly with that beauty that doesn't fade. You see, beauty outwardly is just skin deep. Beauty outwardly will eventually fade away, but there is a beauty that really a man is drawn to, and it's that beauty inwardly that doesn't fade away. It just gets more beautiful as the years go by. It's the beauty of a woman with a heart of humility. Verse 5, Peter gives us an example to follow. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God. Let me ask you, ladies, do you trust in God? Really? One holy woman <laughs> in the whole house. See, what this comes down to is will you trust in God? There's always the world's way. But then there's God's way. I told you last week, what makes us relevant is that we are different. And this means we have a different marriage than most modern American marriages. And I just have to remind you, when you look at what's happening in the American family and the landscape of American marriages, it's not going very good out there. But God is giving us a different way to be married in here. And I'm convinced that marriage is not the creation of culture, it's not the creation of government, it's the creation of God. It was God's idea. For best results, let's consult the manufacturer. And what he's saying is, listen, there's, there's, if you want to be a holy woman, I mean a God follower, submission to your husband is really about trusting in God, submission to God. Do we really believe God knows what is right, what is best? See, even when you can't fully trust your husband, he's saying, will you fully trust God? 
also, they, these holy women adorn themselves, look at what it says, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, if you're a first century reader and recipient of this letter, they were mostly Jewish. And every Jewish first century woman would have immediately known who Sarah was. Sarah and Abraham were the father of the Jews. Sarah and Abraham are the ones that gave birth to the Jewish nation that gave us Jesus. And so they're very familiar with Sarah's story. One day Abraham comes home living in the Ur of the Chaldees and says, Sarah, honey, God's told me that we need to move. Now you can only imagine what this conversation must have been like. Okay, honey, where are we gonna move? Well, God hadn't told me exactly where, but he said go that way about 600 miles. Can you imagine being Sarah? Abraham, seriously? You have no idea where we're actually going, but you want me to follow you 600 miles to a faraway country and leave my family, leave our city, seriously? One has to only imagine what this conversation was like. But see, Peter's using Sarah as an example. Even though it didn't fully make sense, she followed. And you see, what we're learning here is that it's more than just roles. It's about a relationship. And we are seeing God reveal what is some of the deepest needs of men and women in marriage. God knows one of man's deepest needs is for admiration and a woman's is for affection. And this is the language of men. And a woman deeply needs her husband's affection, but a man deeply needs her husband's admiration. And you see this at the end of Ephesians 5 as the Apostle Paul concludes the greatest dissertation ever on marriage. He sums it up this way in verse 33. He says, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I want you to notice something. Nowhere in Scripture does God ever tell the wife to love her husband. You know why? Because you're going to do that anyway. And what God knows is you may love him, but not respect him. And what he needs is your respect, not just your love. And I want you to notice nowhere in Scripture does God tell the husband to respect the wife, even though he ought to respect his wife. What he says is to love your wife as your own body. You know why? Because you're, you're going to love uh, your wife. But what you really need is the respect of your wife. And God has rigged this thing, I'm convinced, there's a cycle in marriage where we feed each other emotionally the deepest needs we have as men and women. You can see in Ephesians 5.33, there's this marriage cycle to keep that love and feeling, to keep the honey long after the honeymoon, to make sure the sizzle never fizzles, all right? Here it is. Husbands give affection, and naturally in return, the wife gives admiration. This is why you fell in love. This is why you got married. He felt her admiration, which naturally elicited emotions of affection. And as he gave her affection, she naturally felt more admiration. And as she gave away that admiration, it built up his feelings of affection. So as he's giving affection, she's giving more admiration. As he receives more admiration, she receives more affection. And that's how two people fall in love. That's how God made your love to grow. But what happens is in marriage, sometimes the cycle can start working against you. All of a sudden... He doesn't receive admiration. He feels belittled, berated, scolded. And suddenly he doesn't feel affection. He starts withholding affection. So naturally she stops feeling admiration. And over the course of weeks, months, or years, that's how a couple that once had that love and feeling no longer has that love and feeling. They are bankrupt emotionally. You say, what do I do? Listen, this is more than an emotion. God is giving us a command to put in motion. Ladies, some of you are thinking, well, I'd give my husband respect if he would act more respectable. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're thinking. But it's an unconditional command that your husband love you unconditionally. You know what that means? If love has to be earned, it's not love. It's an unconditional command. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. He put no conditions on his love for us. Now he says to men, I want you to love your wife like that unconditionally. Ladies, how many of you would be honest and say, there are moments along the way I haven't been lovable. 
Come on. Now, how many of you, even when you're not lovable, would like your husbands to still love you? Oh, come on. <laughs> of course you do. Yeah, here's what happens, gentlemen. When you love your wife, even when she's not lovable, she's going to become more lovable. Now, check this out, ladies. It's true of respect, too. See, respecting your husband is unconditional. Even when you can't respect his person, you respect his position. And when you do, he becomes more respectable too. And that's how you put it in motion, even when you're not feeling the emotion. If you will put it in action, I will promise you're going to get back that love and feeling. Now, we've got a few minutes left. I would like to invite my wife, Tashawn and Marissa Avery, to come on up here. Give them a hand, would you? Because I just want to have a little conversation, a little Q&A to answer some questions. Practically speaking, what does this look like now in our marriages? This is my wife, Krista. Tashawn leads our Fusion Student Ministries. And so uh, I'm especially curious, Marissa, as a young millennial mom, when you hear a message like this on submission, what do you think? What do you feel? So I think that you nailed it on the head when you're talking about sameness and equality and just how society has gotten that so wrong. Because until I had heard you unpackage this and really lay that out, it was confusing. You know, it's confusing to see society and the way that that's going along. And, you know, they see sameness and equality and they're pushing for both. And it's like, um, you know, it's just an unfortunate thing the way that society and sometimes even the church has gotten it the wrong way. So I just, I appreciate like hearing it laid out that way so that I can understand it to the way that God intended for me to. So. Yeah, that's good. And I, and I would say this, Pastor Phil and Krista, thank you so much for even uh, having us here to, to kind of ask you some questions. And we're coming up here on a nickel worth of being married and y'all got like three dimes. So we're, we're, we're just thankful for the opportunity. So if yeah. I can interpret what he just said, we're young, you're old. <laughs> Yeah, so, so, we, so we got some questions uh, from some young adults and, and even that we had kind of just knowing that we were going here in First Peter. So I'll let you ask the first one. So you were laying out how Sarah just went with his lead. She was even calling him Lord. He had no idea where he was going. So what does that look like today as far as practically calling your husband Lord or respecting him as such? Yeah, he, he says Sarah called her husband Lord. We, of course, at Abundant Life take the Bible literally. What it says. I like the, like, my liege. It's in the yeah, Bible. No. <laughs> put it, you got to put it in its cultural context, right? So even if we lived just, say, 500 years ago in Europe, she would have called me my lord, and I would have called her my lady, right? So uh, in the culture of Abraham and Sarah's time, that wasn't weird at all. Today, ladies, it might be weird. Now, your husband might think it's awesome even if it feels kind of weird, but here's the deal. You don't have to literally call your husband Lord. What Peter is teaching is that a woman should esteem her husband, show him reverence. In our case, Krista calls me hunk a hunk of burning love. That's good. That works for me. Yes, it does. it does. That's good, Pastor Phil. No, seriously, once in a while, she, she'll tell me, you're the king of your castle. I'm like. <laughs> Sit up straight. Yeah. He's like, yes. <laughs> But it's, um, it's, it's, again, reminding the ladies, like, the man responds to admiration, and he naturally then feels more affection. There's that cycle in marriage. Krista, what do you think? Yeah, I, I speak affirming words to him and, and uh, esteem him well, I think, in the words that I say. <laughs> you are the bomb. You're the bomb. <laughs> So, Krista, I do. I have a question for you. Early in, you know, marriage, how did you really model like submission and you know all that for for Pastor Phil, kind of early in the early days and even now? Yeah, in every moment of every day, I feel we're submitting um, either to our self will, you know, in every decision that we make, and or into God's will and and how we live our life. And um, from the beginning the world was in chaos and God came and put it into order and structure. And so in every area of our life, we submit to 
the government or we submit to our employer or even to the little lines on the road that we stay within so we keep other people safe. Um, so we all have lines that we, we submit in. And, um, and so in our early days, we had a dual income, but we always had committed to a plan that we would never rely on that dual income because I would stay home with the kids. And um, so we, on our first, one of our first major decisions, getting a place to live, um, we had to really stay within our means of the one income. And so we went to this house that was like $375 a, a month to live in. And it wasn't the greatest house. It and was she not didn't where, really want to. Not where I would want to live, but hey, we did it. Took kind it for the team. Uh, <laughs> and um, I did, came in an agreement with him uh, and with our plan to, uh, and it was the best thing we did. I mean, it was a really good decision. But um, then, uh, you know, uh, through our marriage, you know, in the early days, I would like, I would serve him, but sometimes I would be tired and, and he would ask me for a cup of, a glass of tea or make me something to eat. And I remember sitting there thinking, um, well, that means I have to get up and I have to Are serve your legs him. <laughs> and, um, but, but as, as I was praying that God would conform me more and more into his image and to be reading in his word, in that verse in um, Ephesians 5.22, he really spoke to me one day when I was reading that and that serve your husband as you're serving, as if I'm in that room and you're serving me. And um, so when I started, like in those moments when I wanted to be selfish, um, I would start thinking, I want to serve as if it's Jesus. And so I started serving him a lot better. And now I, and I love to serve him and I have joy in my serving him. Um, and I even ask him if I can do more to serve him. But um, I also, um, I see that Jesus, he ultimately did, submitted to the beatings and death on the cross for us. And I, if this is one small thing I can do, I can do that for him. That's good. That's good. Thank you so much. Yeah, I said a statement last week. I repeat it. Peter's really illustrating what makes us relevant is that we're different. Our marriages should be different. Everything about our lives should be different. And I remember years ago when I was still on the PD, I brought one of my partners home for lunch. And I asked Krista if she'd make us some lunch. Honey, honey, will you make us both a sandwich and yada, 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 right? And I remember my partner leaning over to me as we're sitting at the table. Krista's in the kitchen making us lunch. She says, man, what just happened? If I asked my wife to make me some lunch, she'd ask if my legs are broke. Right. They were always very intrigued by my marriage because it was different. Yeah. And this is an example, I think, of what makes us relevant when we, we do it God's way instead of doing it the world's way. And here's the deal. You have to grow in marriage. You look at Butch and Karen's story, they're not the same people they were the day they said, I do. Or they wouldn't be where they are today. We're not the same people we were 30 years ago when we said I do. Three dimes ago. Three dimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand this concept nearly as well then. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I had this concept, unspoken, like I got the outside, Krista has the inside. I didn't do a lot of cooking and cleaning. Now I do a lot of cooking and cleaning. And laundry. I have a small menu. What I do, I do well. Do the dishes, yes. vacuum, I don't do laundry. <laughs> I turn white things pink when don't I do. Don't do laundry, don't do laundry. But the point I'm making, I've learned, wait a minute, submission is mutual. Right. Uh, I submit to her need. Well, she submits to my lead. That's good. And that's how God intended it to be one person. I think that's really good, just what you're saying, like as far as tasks versus like a heart change, because sometimes we can get so focused on, you know, I do this and you do that and that's the way it is and it's like, no, it's just a change of heart. So, you know, if she asks you to do the dishes, it's like, oh, I'd love to do the dishes because I want to serve the Lord and serve you. And I think that that's just a great way to lay that out. So thanks for sharing that. Um, early on in our marriage, we had uh, just a tragic loss of his mom. And so we went through quite a season of emotional just trauma. And during that season, it was difficult for him to be in a position to lead and for me to be in a submission or position to submit. So how would you encourage someone that's maybe in that season or to a husband that's not necessarily even seeking the Lord? Yeah, I would, um, I know that's a, a really hard situation to be in and I talked to a lot of ladies that their husbands are not like following the Lord. But like Karen said, I mean, I would just seriously pray for them and be that quiet 
spirit that that's behind in the backgrounds praying for God to to move in their life to lead well um, to minister to them and to go before them and, and you and all that, that you do so everything um, normally in a woman you want your husband to be the spiritual leader um, and where I talk about you know men the number one complaint about their wives I've had in 20 years is my wife doesn't respect me the number one thing I hear from women in our church, I wish my husband would be the spiritual leader. I wish he'd pray with me, right? What do you do? So the natural tendency for a woman is start quoting the Bible at her husband. And the more you quote Bible verses, the more it seems like he'll want to follow the Bible. But Peter says that has opposite effect. You want to inoculate him against the scripture, just beat him over the head with it, right? So this is what he says, without a word, you might be able to win him to the word, yeah. even without saying the word, just by living the word. It's good. It's not a guarantee, and it's not instant. But men are influenced more by what they see than what a woman says. That's good, Pastor Phil. So I got this question for you to follow up. Uh, when this verse talks about the inner beauty of humility, what does that look like for you? How does Krista model that for you? Yeah, so first of all, I, what I appreciate so much about my wife is... Um, she, uh, she dresses, and this is what Peter's talking about, dressing in a way outwardly that shows honor to her husband. Yeah. Okay? So a woman in our sensual society has been taught, leverage your sexuality. Mm. Dress in a way that is sexy. But a godly woman knows there are certain parts of her life that only belong to her husband. So I'm not going to dishonor my husband That's right. by dressing in a way that is sensually seductively attractive. So my wife, what I love about her, she dresses in a way that makes her look beautiful, but not too sensual. That's good. All right, because it's about honoring the husband. And then the other element of that is she's grown in this inner beauty that doesn't fade away. The, the beauty of humility uh, where um, she wants to follow me, not because she has to, right. but because she really wants to. That's good. And then that, that makes me respond differently, too. Like, guys, listen up. Headship is not lordship. That's good. Headship is about leadership. God has said you're the leader of the home. That's the role God's given you. But listen carefully. Being a leader is not the same as being the boss. Great leaders know when to be led. That's good. Leadership is not dictatorship. It's a collaboration. Like, I want to know her opinion. And because I'm seeking her opinion and seeking decisions and collaboration, she's willing then to follow when I make a decision. It's good. When I hear that, I think of how competitive T and I are, just in life and games and, you know, fun and not fun <laughs> situations. So what would that, like, how do, have you guys seen that play out in your marriage as far as rivalry and competition goes, and what does that look like on a day-to-day -day for you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk about yesterday. <laughs> yesterday. Okay, so Saturday morning, we're having our cup of coffee. Everything's off to a good start. Sleepy start, but good start. I say something, and she responds with what I thought was irritation. So I'm immediately irritated that she's irritated. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't deserve her irritation. What I said shouldn't have caused irritation. Come on. Now I'm irritated that she's irritated. I react in the way she reacted. Are you talking about your Saturday morning or mine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> I'm talking 24 hours ago right now. Okay. So this is what we've learned to do in marriage. So 20 years ago, two dimes ago, Come on. I'd have been ticked off all day long. Might not have talked to her. Because that's how I responded back in the day when I lacked humility and submission. I was going to show her, mm. hey guys, it never works. Come on, amen. <laughs> never works. Didn't then, won't now. So what we've learned, humility. When I talk about humility, ending rivalry, submission, ending that fight for position, I felt disrespected. That was the problem. There it was. Lack of admiration saw her irritation, so what happened was, 
instead of not talking to her the rest of the day and letting Satan steal our Saturday that you only get one of a week, I went into the bedroom where she had barricaded herself. (laughs) And I sought clarity. Honey, I am so sorry for how I reacted. What I found out was what I saw was not irritation. It was confusion. And so much of the time, that's what happens in marriage. What you thought you saw, you didn't see. But if you don't have the humility to seek clarity and then make an apology, that's how that cycle I talk about starts working against you. She no longer feels admiration. I'm not feeling affection. Right. So you reverse the cycle by someone putting it in motion. Right, that's good, Pastor Phil. I love what you shared too. The humility to take the walk down the hallway is a lot. You know, I really, I feel that the humility to go in and say, hey, let me, let me seek some clarity because you want to stay frustrated and irritated. It's like, That man. long, lonely walk yes. down the hallway. Yes, I feel that. We got a couple more questions for you, Pastor Phil. So just really yeah. quickly, yeah. Here, here's the point. It takes humility to ask for forgiveness. It takes humility to give forgiveness. That's good. I used to think in a healthy marriage, you never have to say you're sorry. Because everything's just so wonderful all the time. That's what I thought. No, in a healthy marriage, you're seeking forgiveness and you're giving forgiveness all the time. That's good. All the time. That's good, Pastor Phil. So you talk about the two becoming one flesh, the husband's the head, the wife is the body. How would you pastor a couple where sometimes it, it may seem like that personality traits flip, whereas the woman's more of the forward thinker, she's that decision maker, planner, and the husband has that opposite uh, personality. How would you kind of pastor that or kind of navigate that? So the roles you see God embed in marriage is not built on personalities. Yeah. So the home I grew up in, my dad had the more quiet personality. My mom had the big extroverted personality. She was kind of naturally more of the leader. She had a platform position. It may be true in a lot of marriages here where the wife is more the natural leader. You may be a leader outside the home. But in my case, I watched this growing up. Um, Even though my dad was certainly more quiet in his faith, there was never a question who was leading our home. So sometimes, I know my mom made this decision at some point along the way where she could naturally take over Uh, she would purposely allow my dad to lead and step into that calling that God had given him. And again, guys, it is is always knowing when to be led. Like, my wife leads me a lot. I don't just lead her because that's the nature of leadership. Tashan leads me. Organizationally, I'm the lead pastor. He's the student pastor. There's no question in Tashan's mind who, who the leader of our church is, yet... If I'm a good leader, I'm looking at him at times going, Tashan, you lead me. You know more than I do about student ministry. There are times a man, I'll look at his wife and say, baby, I don't know. What do you think? That's good. That's good. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. Come on. Come on. That's a good answer, Pastor Phil. Go ahead, babe. I'll let you take it. So with knowing that and just the way that you lay this out is so, it's easy to understand and like graceful, if you will. Um, But how has society gotten this wrong? Um, or the church, more or less, how have they gotten this wrong to where it's such a triggering topic for society? So anytime submission's brought up, it's like, whoa, I'm not going to do that. So I feel like I've done all the talking. I'm trying not to, really. Okay, I'm going to. <laughs> Looking at you, Pastor Phil. Um, I think part of the problem, historically, the church has gotten it wrong. So I grew up in a Bible-believing church. I heard all my life that the wife is supposed to submit to her husband, I never heard till I preached my first sermon on marriage that the husband is supposed to submit to the wife. So I think in some way, even the church has gotten it wrong where we have fostered the historic male chauvinism. Uh, and, and so what's happened in our society is there's been an overreaction, the new modern feminism that seeks to erase the role of men, usurp the role of men, so it went from here, now it's over here, and in some way I think the church is partly at fault here because we have misapplied it, mistaught it, and it's been misunderstood for so long. That's good, Pastor Phil. One of the things that I've got to say right here to you, Krista, that I think is just so good just in all of this 
Thank you so much for modeling as well for us. One of the things that you've shared is that, man, we pray often and we pray a lot. And one of the things when you talk about the church getting it right or wrong, when it comes to this subject of mutual submission, a couple who's not in prayer together won't be staying together very easily. That's when it gets rocky. So I know you, you've talked about this all the time. Thank you so much for really setting really the precedent for us as a young couple saying, hey, listen, pray for one another. Let's keep it simple. Yeah. And going back to yesterday morning. Yeah. So ser seriously, the day didn't get off to a great start in the hopper home. And, uh, you know, there was some irritation between us. Krista led the way. You know what she did? She prayed. Yeah. She yeah. prayed. And it's really hard to stay mad at each other when you just stop, drop, and pray. Amen. Yeah. That is difficult to do. But it takes humility to do that. Yeah, it does. Because you want to dig in and win. And right there's the problem. That's good. Yeah. Thank you guys for taking some time and talking with us, letting us ask y'all some questions. Can y'all think, thank you guys, seriously. It means a lot, Pastor Phil. Ladies, we want to do this with you. The men did it a few weeks ago on Father's Day. I asked them to come forward, pray for their wives, pray for their families. Ladies, I want you right now all over our campuses, Independence, Blue Springs, even right there online, I want you to come. Let's make an altar, and I'd like to see the women of the Word, the women of Abundant Life come. I'm going to ask you to come. Let's right now pray for your husband. He's got a hard job, a large job, a calling of God upon his life. And he cannot do it without you. So you come right now. We're going to pray for your men. I'm so thankful for the women of the word. Spirit-filled women of this house, this church. And so many of you wear this inner beauty. so wonderfully I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask my wife to pray Jesus I thank you for these godly ladies oh Lord thank you that there are still women in this world like Sarah who loved her husband well was willing to follow her husband when undoubtedly it was scary felt risky she trusted in you first I thank you, Lord, for these women that trust you with their lives. Lord, some of them are in this situation Peter writes about, husbands that don't obey the word, not following the word. God, I pray for double wisdom upon their life, that you give them a holy wisdom in their conversations, decisions, when everything in them wants to say something, I pray that, Lord, you'd give them as Karen had many years ago, the ability to pray and not simply pressure and push. Lord, we pray for these men that these women are married to, that they would step into their calling to be the leader of their family. And that God, I pray you would invade every home. The Spirit of God would find a dwelling place in every house where each of us go home, in Jesus' name. And God, I just pray that you would be working through our, our lives to conform us more and more into your image, God, that you would um, give these husbands wisdom to lead and strength to follow you, God, in every decision that they make. And I just pray for mutual submission, God, and that we would be submitting one to another, but also ultimately submitting to you, God, and your authority in our lives, God, and that we would be living each day to bring you greater and greater glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Church, love you a whole bunch. God bless you. God bless you.